Now, folks, this is about as good as it's going to get today. Uh, sorry about that. So listen carefully. Um, but it is good to see all of you. I'm glad that we can be together uh, for this time of worship. Several announcements to call to your attention. Um, one is that the children are reminded that they're not having their usual Sunday night programs tonight. Instead, they'll meet in the gym from 4 until 530 um, for the second annual Make a Swish basketball fundraiser for the School of Deaf and Blind. Uh, please join us in this mission prog- uh, project, and there will be a hot dog supper for the children following that time. It's not too late to make a pledge. See Katie to sponsor a child. Also, all children are invited to meet Miss Katie in the social hall on next Saturday to prepare for Big Hug Sunday. The Saturday meeting is from noon until 2 p.m. Um, adults are reminded that next Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour, um, there will be the huggers coming to your classroom. Let's see, what else? Beverly says to remind you folks that today, during our second hymn, she'll be taking the children up to the library. Um, And secondly, the Lydia Fellowship Circle of the UMW will be meeting this coming Tuesday at 10.30 in the UMW room. Let's see, one more thing. The youth are, will be at the back um, exits, the outer exits today with uh, bowls, um, uh, encouraging you to make some donations for Super Bowl Sunday uh, to help feed the hungry. And so we called your attention to that. We've done that for several years now. Uh, so we'll see. I, I told the choir that with my hoarseness, I probably was going to have to uh, cut a good bit of my sermon down. I didn't expect the, the applause that I got and the great joy expressions, but you know, what can you, what can you expect? Let us now begin our time together in worship.
Let us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered on the Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I forgot to call on Robbie Septon to come give us a brief word. And after that, we'll have our children's time. Good morning. Just wanted to make a quick announcement to remind everybody that uh, next week is the Cheerful Hearts Midwinter Dinner. Um, we are still selling tickets. You can get them after the service or you can find any member of our class, and we'll be glad to help you with those. We're still collecting items for the uh, auction, live and silent auction. <clears throat> if you have something you would like to donate, or if you're a business owner or know a business owner in town, or uh, have something handmade or something that, around the house that you're questionable about, give us a call. We'll be glad to help you. Um, still looking for donations, and of course this is to help support the church budget, and uh, we really look forward to seeing everybody out next week. So now back to Reverend Froggy. <laughs> this time we'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Kevin Duncan for a few moments of sharing. Fantastic. Glad you're all doing well. I got a quick question for you. What is this right here? Football. football. Very good. You want to hold it? Why do I have a football? What's today? Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. That's right. That's right. This is when I become probably the largest kid on the planet. This is one of my favorite times of the year, probably one of my most favorite days of the year. Now, my wife doesn't like this time of the year, but, you know, football is a great thing. Who's playing today in the Super Bowl? Packers and the Steelers, that's right. What I want to talk a little bit about today are the fans of those teams. What does a Steelers fan look like? Do you all know what they look like? They maybe wear black and gold. 
They probably wave around that towel. You see when on TV they're waving around that towel. They call it a terrible towel. Have you ever seen that? And what about the Packer fans? What do they look like? Crazy? Yes. Green Bay Packer fans are crazy. But they wear green and yellow and white. And because they're from Wisconsin, what's, what's made in Wisconsin? Cheese, absolutely. The cheese heads. Have you ever seen them? They've got those blocks of cheese on their head. It's not real cheese. It's just plastic. But um, why, What does this have to do with God? What, what this has to do with God this morning is that we're also fans of God. And how, how do people know that we're fans of God? We go to church. Maybe our actions, our attitudes. We pray. That's right. That's right. Uh, just like we can know who they're cheering for, God knows who we cheer for by our heart, our actions, and our attitude. Um, when we're a follower of Christ, you know, we ask forgiveness of our sins, we take him into our lives, and we try to do good things for other people, right? In Galatians 5.22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when Jesus walked on this earth, he showed us how to live by the Spirit. He taught us to love one another. Isn't that right? So we, yes, we are crazy fans, crazy football fans. But our actions is what we're known for. And in Proverbs 20.11, it says, Even small children are known by their actions. So is their, con is, so is their conduct really pure and upright? So what I want you all to think about is people see you all this coming week. I know you'll probably be supporting your team, either the Steelers or Packers, after tonight's game. I really want to think of y'all to think about your actions as you go out to school and things like that. Do people, when they see you, do they know that we're children of Christ and of God by our actions? All right? Let us pray. God, thank you so much for this wonderful day. Thank you for allowing us the great game of football, for, for sports, for fans. But, Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, and what he meant to us. Father, please allow us to leave this place and to shine your light and to, that other people may see our actions and our deeds and our attitudes and see what it is to be Christ-like. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Our responsive reading is um, on page 833 at Psalm 112. I invite you to stand as you're able as we share this passage responsively. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in God's commandments. Wealth and riches are in their house, and their righteousness endures forever. They rise in the darkness as the light of the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteous shall never be moved. They will be remembered forever. 
They are not afraid of evil things. Their hearts are firm, trusting in the Lord. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. Epistle lesson is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through chapter 4, verse 4. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. You're all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us who are under the law. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. <clears throat> we are glad to be a part of your family, Lord, to be a part of that great fellowship so that where one rejoices, we all rejoice. But if one is sorrowful, then we all are sorrowful with that person as well. We pray that you would strengthen and nurture this good fellowship so that it might be truly said of us that when you join that church, you never have to be alone again. We are thankful for this. We're thankful also that Jesus came preaching and teaching, fulfilling the commandments and the prophets' words about him, but even more, filling the word with new meaning, filling it full of its real purpose. We are grateful that Jesus brought new light and new understanding to those Old Testament laws and helped us to see that the law was only a description of what love should look like. And now, Lord, calls us to be so filled with your love that when we go out from this place, we might show the world what love is supposed to look like. That through our efforts and through your love living in us, we might see this world changed. We pray your blessings upon all of us that have come this day. We pray for those, our friends, who aren't here today because of illness or grief. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you might touch them and make them well. And even more than that, we say to you, here I am, send me. If you would have us go to any of our friends to offer our comfort and our strength, we pray that you would use us in your kingdom's work. These are our prayers through Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time we will uh, continue our time in worship as we worship God by giving.
Our gospel reading is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its lamp stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the, the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches, teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here ends the lesson. <clears throat> As Jesus began his ministry, he laid out his vision of life in God's kingdom, what it would look like. We call this the Beatitudes. Since this was at the very start of his ministry, I find it interesting that he makes a statement this early, indicating that some folks were already wondering if his mission was to undo all that had gone before him, that he was going to do away with the tradition of the Jewish people. Will he come to destroy the law? Will he be the one who explains the law in a new light? or one who does away with it altogether. Now, to some degree, this reaction, this is the reaction of tradition to every new idea that ever comes along. I have um, been here almost seven years, and I can well remember uh, when we were getting the contemporary service off the ground, people were wondering, will this help Memorial Church, or will it destroy Memorial Church? And it really was a toss-up. It could have gone either way. But it's a real tribute to the committee that worked so very diligently to bring about that new service that it has been such a wonderful addition to the ministry of this church. This isn't the case in every church where new services are started. People find sometimes something new destroys the fabric of a church. Jesus' critics were afraid he was going to destroy the fabric of Judaism. Maybe Jesus had already done a few things already that made people question him uh, about his attitude toward the law. Possibly it was the fact that he associated with known thieves and outcasts and, um, and welcomed people who are sinners into his fellowship and that gave his opponents plenty of opportunities to accuse him of being soft on the law. Just too gracious, they would say. Later, when Jesus healed on the Sabbath 
And when he ate without the right way of washing his hands, the law-abiding people had two more reasons to wonder if Jesus was intent on destroying the entire law. It's likely that these were the reasons that Jesus felt the need to state for the record quite early in his time of ministry, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. But Jesus did not put that question away for all time. It surfaced again in the life of the early church between Paul and James. Paul spoke of being free from the law, and James encouraged all of the followers of Jesus to meticulously keep all the the laws of the Old Testament. In the Middle Ages, the church became very legalistic, and Martin Luther came along with his reform, and one of the criticisms was, he's doing away with traditions. He's doing away with things that are important. Still in our day, the issue has not gone away. Some churches major on grace and love and acceptance, while others um, come in heavy on the law and order issue. And there are some churches that I probably couldn't belong to. Um, I know you couldn't belong to it if you were divorced, because they won't, won't let you. In some denominations, you can't join unless you uh, agree not to ever wear any makeup or any jewelry, ladies. I think their motto must be the more like a cadaver you look, the holier you are. Um, and, and so we've still got this going on today. And those law and order churches would look at what we do to offer grace and love to all people and say that we were doing away with the law doing away with the importance of the commandments. So what should be our attitude toward the law? And what did Paul mean when he said we are free from the law? And how did Jesus fulfill rather than destroy the law? Well, to answer this, I think we first need to make sure we understand the function of the law in our lives and in society. For one thing, laws provide safety and orderliness in society. Without laws, there would just be anarchy. Both Peter and Paul urged Christians to be obedient to civil law. And even Jesus said to give to Caesar those things that were Caesar's. The New Testament tells us that we have a duty to obey civil laws unless they are in direct conflict with God's laws. And so Paul would not be saying that we're free from the responsibility to observe moral and civil laws. Moral law also gives us some guidelines for life. The Ten Commandments were given to guide human conduct. Paul said that the law had a function in our lives being like a guardian of a small child to aim us in the right direction until we come to maturity where we're guided by faith and love. So one function of the law is to provide safety and orderliness in society. And it's very clear that Jesus did not come to do away with that. Instead, he came to add depth of meaning to these laws and to fill them full of meaning by showing that the law only describes how love should behave. But there was a negative aspect of the law uh, 
running rampant in Jesus' day. And that was it had a way of dividing people. You saw yourself as law-abiding or sinner. And those who were law-abiding people believed that they deserved God's love. And that those that didn't keep the law did not deserve God's love. Clearly, Jesus was hoping to destroy that distinction so that people would have a new way of knowing that God loves them. Pardon me while I edit due to my voice. Um, It is a religious system that Paul declared that we were free from. The religious system that says we are God's children because we deserve it. We've earned it. And the converse of that, we're not God's children because we don't deserve it. Clearly, Jesus was trying to do away with that religious system calling us to see that it is by faith now that we are related to God. Uh, We aren't free to break the commandments, but we are free from the condemnation that used to be ours under the old system. We are free from the religious system that says our relationship with God is based on our keeping law. Instead, now we have a relationship with God based on God's grace. Jesus saw that the law's main function, which was to make all people aware of their need for God's forgiveness, was being subverted in his day. He saw that some people were so proud that they kept the law that they couldn't come to God by faith. And others felt that they had done so much wrong they could not come back to God at all. So Jesus challenged the self-righteous people filling the law full of new meaning. He said, if you're going to be in the kingdom of God, you've got to be more righteous than the Pharisees. You all remember Mother Teresa, who's been dead about a decade now. But if there ever was a saintly um, uh, woman, a Christian woman, it had to be her, who was always out there caring for the lost and the dying of society. Now imagine Jesus saying to you, you got to be better than she was or you got no chance of getting into heaven. And you say, how in the world could anybody be better than Mother Teresa? It could be that Jesus filled the law full by saying things like that to make us aware of our need for God's grace. To those who were filled with pride that they had not committed murder, Jesus said, oh, but if you've ever been angry with your brother, you're going to be judged as guilty of murder. And Jesus was thereby filling the law, thou shalt not kill, full of new meaning, so that no one could be self-righteous about that. Rather than feeling proud of the fact that one had obeyed the law outwardly, one was suddenly aware of the fact that anger was the same as murder in God's eyes, and therefore I need God's grace. To those who thought they were much better than others because of their faithfulness in marriage, Jesus said, oh, but if you've ever looked at another human being, if you ever looked at a woman in, in, in lust, then you're guilty in God's eyes of having committed adultery. And if you've ever looked at another human being and said, you good-for-nothing idiot. 
you are guilty and in danger of going to hell. I don't think I've said you idiot since I was driving the other day. That is the time I usually say that word. But Jesus added these things to, to pack the law full of new meaning so that we would say, Lord, you have filled the law with such a lofty meaning. You've elevated its standard to such a high position. Nobody could be right. Nobody could be righteous by doing that. My thoughts betray me. I'm just as lost as that outcast over there. I need God's mercy. And Jesus smiles and says, you're right. Now you understand the function of the law. It is to keep you on your knees, to make you aware of God's forgiveness and your need for it. The law is now fulfilling its purpose in your life. It brought you to your knees so that you know that you're right with God only because you ask him for mercy. Now no one can boast except that they boast about God's goodness. That's one of the ways Jesus filled the law full. He fulfilled it, filling it so full of meaning that it can accomplish its purpose in our lives. But Jesus also fulfilled the law by keeping it perfectly himself in every facet of it. So that when he went to his cross, he was the spotless Lamb of God. When upon his cross he was dying, he gave to us all of his righteousness and took upon himself all of our sin. And in that way, he fulfilled the law in us and made us right before God. So we're not free from our responsibility to obey God's moral laws, but we are free from the eternal consequences of our disobedience. We're free from the law in that it's no longer the defining basis of our relationship with God. Faith and trust in God is that which defines our relationship now. Someone has rightfully said that we're not legally kin to God. Now we're blood kin. We're free from the law when we focus our attention upon God's love and go out determined to live love in all of our relationships. May we follow Jesus and allow the law to be fulfilled in our lives. Amen.